0: I'm gonna make a change for once in my life. It's gonna feel real good. Gonna make a difference. Gonna make it right. As I turn up the collar on my favorite winter. This wind is blowing my mind I see the kids In the street but not enough to eat Who am I to be blind Pretending not to see them need I saw this disregard I'm broken
1: Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, episode number seventy-three, where we go back, back to, to the, the past. past and read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing. You can find us every Sunday morning on ChrisandReggie.podbean.com and pick us up from iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Heart Radio, and from the deepest regions of subspace. Hmm. What could this be? This is a comic that was suggested, I think, quite a while ago. I think so. By uh, you know, we have a backlog, folks. We have a big backlog. Uh suggested by Aaron Anderson, aka Bad Touch Doctor Light, aka at Chef High on Twitter. Uh I don't think he has many more things to promote other than himself, <laughs> but uh he wanted us to read Fantastic Four, number fifty-one, June nineteen sixty-six cover date, titled This Man, This Monster. Written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Joe Sinnott, art lettered by Artie Simek, uh edited by Stan Lee, of course, and cover price is Twelve centavos.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, before we dive in, let's talk some Stan Lee. There isn't a whole lot to say about him. No,
1: no, uh, not, not, <laughs> or, not Or the artist. I no, think, right? not much to say. We'll get through these very quickly.
0: Yes, Stanley Martin Lieber was born December twenty eighth, nineteen twenty two, in Manhattan, New York, to Romanian-born Jewish immigrant parents, Celia and Jack Lieber, at the corner of West ninety eighth Street and West End Avenue. Ooh. So we can uh, you can pop that into Go your visit. Google Map yeah. machine and. and See where he grew. See where he was born. There. Uh, now he's got a younger brother named Larry, who would also work on comics. Uh, they they currently do the strip together in the paper, I believe. Oh, yeah. Uh, Now, Jack Lieber, trained as a dress cutter, Uh, worked only sporadically after the Great Depression. And thus, the family moved further uptown to Fort Washington Avenue in Washington Heights, Manhattan. By the time Lee was in his teens, the family was living in a one-bedroom apartment at 1720 University Avenue in the Bronx. Uh, He and Larry would share the bedroom while his parents slept on a fold-out couch. Uh, Lee would attend DeWitt Clinton High School in the Bronx. He loved to read and watch movies as a child. His favorite films were those with Errol Flynn, Uh, Flynn best known for playing Robin Hood in The Adventures of Robin Hood from 1938. Uh, Flynn generally played swashbuckling, heroic types and uh, was considered quite the heartthrob in his day. Mm, Yeah. And and maybe even today. Probably. Uh, now, (laughs) Now, Lee enjoyed writing, and he entertained dreams of one day writing the, quote, Great American Novel. Yeah,
1: we uh, graduated from high school early, age 16 and a half in 1939 and joined the WPA Federal Theater Project. Uh, this was a New Deal program to fund theater and other live artistic performances and entertainment programs during the Great Depression. It was created not as a cultural activity, but as a relief measure to employ artists, writers, directors, and theater workers. Lee became an assistant in 1939 at the new Timely Comics division of Pulp Magazine and comic book Publishers. Martin Goodman's company his job was not glamorous in 2009 Stan recalled in those days the artist dipped the pen in ink so I had to make sure the ink wells were filled I went down and got them their lunch I did proofreading I erased the pencils from the finished pages for them Stan made his comic book debut with the text story Captain America foils the traitor's revenge and Captain America comics number three May 1941 cover He used the pseudonym Stan Lee, explaining years later that he intended to save his given name for more serious literary work. Stan Lee is now his legal name, incidentally, and uh, I think we know why. Mm -hmm. Two issues later, Stan began writing backup feature, Headline Hunter, Foreign Correspondent. When Joe Simon and Jack Kirby left Timely in late 1941 following a dispute with Martin Goodman, the 30-year-old publisher installed Stan... Just under 19 years old as his interim editor, he took over for Joe Simon, and we'll get into a little more of that uh, in a minute. He'd hold this job and eventually become the comic book division's editor-in-chief as well as the art director until 1972, when he would succeed Goodman as publisher.
0: Now, Stan would enter the U.S. Army in early 1942, where he served stateside in the Signal Corps, repairing telegraph poles and other communications equipment. He'd later be transferred to the training film division, where he worked writing manuals, training films and slogans, and occasionally cartooning. His military classification, he says, was playwright. Uh, He adds that only nine men in the U.S. Army were ever given that title. Uh, Vincent Fago, uh, editor of Timely's Humor and Funny Animal Division, filled in until Returned from World War II military service In 1945 As the 40s wore on and superheroes Lost their luster, more and more Generalized writing duties fell to Stan Meaning that he wrote the you know Westerns, romance, science fiction And some horror stories Which became more abundant in the vacuum Created by uh, the, the, the vacuum that superheroes Left behind mm. uh, Now by the time of the comics code In 1955, which nearly Collapsed what was then known as Atlas Comics Stan was practically the only comic writer, and at the time he was quite sick of it. Uh, Stan has also spoken before of having to fire pretty much the entire office staff at the direction of Martin Goodman, uh, which is one of his least pleasant memories.
1: Yeah, I can imagine, and it was could all... Could you? Yeah. Oof. It was mostly by phone, uh, and it just I could just imagine these very uncomfortable, unpleasant conversations with yeah. lots of people. Still a young guy too, if you think about Still it. Still very young, yeah. Uh, but anyway, things would turn around, and early 1960s the superhero had a resurgence in popularity due to dc comics editor julie schwartz creating updated updated character models and we know about these from uh, showcase number four october 1956 cover in mystery of the human thunderbolt by robert Kaniger and carmen infantino we have the introduction of barry allen flash and then brave in the Bold 28 march 1960 cover in justice league of america by gardner fox and uh, mike sakowski Guess what? We They introduced the Justice League of America. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was well-titled, mm-hmm. that one. Yes. Uh, but Martin Goodman directed Stan to whip up a superhero team for what was, at that time, Marvel Comics. Uh, Stan was ready to quit when his wife suggested he write the story but in the way that he wanted. There was nothing to lose, after all, if he's going to quit anyway. So this resulted in the creation of the Fantastic Four number 1 November 1961 cover date by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, and comics would never be the same after that. That was a massive change in the way comics were told and written. And uh, Stan Lee's sympathetic, realistic characters and Jack Kirby's explosive layouts created a new standard for comic books. And we'll be reading a great example of one
0: shortly. But first, we're gonna hop to the other side of the table and talk about Jack Kirby, Jacob Kurtzberg, born uh, August twenty-eighth, nineteen. 19- oh, they're both born on the twenty-eighth, nineteen <laughs> 19- oh. uh in the Lower East Side, New York. Uh, at uh, to be exact, we got one forty-seven <laughs> Essex Street, so you could do a Lee Kirby tour. Uh, you
1: really tour can. You really can do a little tour of where these guys yes. lived. It's true. <laughs>
0: He was an Australian, no, he was an Austrian (laughs) Jewish immigrant. You don't
2: think he had an Australian accent? He
0: might have, mate. (laughs) Uh, His parents were Benjamin and Rose. Rose's maiden name was Bernstein. Uh, He didn't excel in school. Instead, he preferred doodling and playing hooky at the movies. He was also keen for brawling. Uh, He was sort of a short, pugnacious fella. He was probably a real mean SOB when he wanted to be. Uh, He claims to have been rejected by the Educational Alliance for drawing too fast with charcoal. Ah. now the Educational Alliance is a social institution. Originally at 197 East Broadway, and they were organized in, ni- in 1889 to educate primarily Jewish immigrants, first to Americanize them and later to expand into broader education. Uh, Kirby almost certainly meant the Alliance Art School specifically, sort of its own annex, though in the same building. So uh, might as well not split hairs.
1: Over. Yeah, same old, same thing, really, probably yeah. for what we know. Now uh, this is a, a amazing part that made us both stop when we first learned about <laughs> it, but uh, honed his skills with drawing cartoons for the newspaper of the Boys Brotherhood Republic, a miniature city on 3rd Street where street kids ran the show. Uh, we had hoped this was some kind of Lord of the Flies scenario taking place in the Lower East Side. Turns out it was really just a boys club, not unlike 4-H of the Scouts, but the difference was that the kids did organize their own government with lawyers, judges, police officers, and elected representatives. But it was super supervised by an adult. In Kirby's time, it was a guy from Chicago named Harry Sloniker. But, I mean, that, that just really sounds like, you know, talk about the dead-end kids or whatever. The, Wild, uh, yeah. Yeah, just like their <laughs> own, their own uh, government over there. Uh, he, more about him, uh, you know, drawing too quickly. He attended the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn for a week and dropped out. He says, well, I wasn't the kind of student that Pratt was looking for. They wanted people who would work on something forever. I didn't want to work on any project forever, I intended to get things done.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, there were financial needs at home that required him to start making some money. He was briefly an in-betweener at Fleischer Studios, animators of Betty Boop and Popeye, and uh, later on, Superman. But later stri- labor strikes found him looking for new work. Uh, Jack began drawing strips for the Lincoln Newspaper Syndicate in 1936, where he did a lot of editorial cartoons, uh, one-page fact strips, and uh, humor cartoons over three and a half years. And uh, let's name a few. Sure. We've got Your Health Comes First, under the pseudonym Jack Curtis. Uh, The Black Buccaneer, which was a pirate strip. Uh, Abdul Jones, which was a humor strip. Cyclone Burke, which was a sci-fi strip. Sako the Sea Dog, which is a... Basically, Popeye. Uh, and uh, Sako would be created by a co worker and uh, Kirby's most popular stri- strip at Lincoln, of course.
1: Of course. The direct ripoff, obviously, will do yes. obviously <laughs> the best. Uh, he also worked with the Eisner and Iger comic book shop at the same time. In fact, he says this is where he really learned how to ink. Uh, First original work for Wild Boy magazine. Also, Diary of Dr. Hayward under the pseudonym Kurt Davis. Wilton of the West as Fred Sand. Count of Monte Cristo again as Jack Curtis. And all printed in a comic by Fiction House Which was Jumbo No. 1 September 1938 cover date He first used the name Kirby for two Lone Rider Western stories uh, As Lance Kirby in Famous Funnies Number 63-64 to October-November 39 cover dates by Eastern Color Printing Settled on Jack Kirby because it reminded him of James Cagney But Jack Kirby always bristled at suggestions that he did it to hide his Jewish heritage uh, So... Take that for what it is. Yeah. Kirby starts working for uh, for Victor Fox at Fox Features Syndicate at $15 a week. Worked on their biggest character, the Blue Beetle. Fox would go out of business around 55 and sold the character to Charlton. Eventually went to D.C. Just don't want to confuse people about what's going on here. Sure. Uh, sat next to Bill Everett, creator of the Submariner, and moves to Brooklyn in 1940, meets Rosalind Roz Goldstein in his, his apartment building at 2820 Brighton 7th Street on the northern side of Brighton Beach.
0: Now he meets Fox Features editor Joe Simon, and together they, they hit it off. Uh, Kirby says it's uh, because they appreciated each other's clothes. Uh, Simon's neatly kept suit, as his father was a tailor, and Kirby's nice pants. Because his father worked at one of the sweatshops in the garment district.
1: Yeah, probably didn't wear all the sports <laughs> jackets there, but yeah. Right. Same, same kind of work.
0: <laughs> now, together, they were quite the pair. Joe was tall and lanky, and Jack was short and squat. Uh, Simon and Kirby began working freelance together through Joe's office, uh, supplying mainly to Fox. Uh, Joe Simon broke his contract with Fox To become the first editor at Timely Publications Which, as we know, is the future Marvel And he worked on their adult magazines Including Swank Now in in 1940 They created Captain America That's Captain America number one That debuts with a cover date of March 1941 Went on sale December 20th, 1940 This is almost two full years Before Pearl Harbor Which would foment World War II, of course uh, this cover depicts Captain America punching Adolf Hitler in the jaw. From his position as editor, Joe Simon was able to negotiate 25% of the profits from this issue for he and Kirby, which is yeah. ridiculous uh, in amazing. his era. Uh,
1: you yes. know, there, there are creators, some of the biggest creators today would love to uh, see that a kind of For a, a quarter
0: print. of it, holy smokes. quarter of
1: it, that's an incredible thing. But I guess they really just wanted to uh, crank the comics out. They were just getting them out fast mm-hmm. and furious. First printing of Captain America, number one, sold out. Second printing sold a million copies. After the success, Kirby is hired to Timely as an art director by Joe. Uh, Though the reception was largely positive, there were some Nazi sympathizers who did not appreciate this particular funny book. Timely got death threats and hate mail, and a police detail was assigned to the building, which at that time was at the McGraw Hill Hill building at 330 West 42nd Street. And even Mayor, Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia, who actually called... I uh, sent them a letter of support. He uh, w- was the one that appointed that police detail. Captain America's circulation stayed close to a million copies during the war, outselling magazines like Time. Simon and Kirby stayed on until mm-hmm. issue 10, though. Only issue 10, January 1942. Uh, they were feeling kind of screwed over by uh, by Timely over and they went went to look for work elsewhere. Even though they had made this deal, and you see this a lot in the early days of comics, that doesn't mean the money started pouring in. There was always... Sure. Always ways they would show you how the company had lost money, and therefore you didn't, weren't owed any royalties. Uh, at some point during this time, the duo produced Fawcett Comics' Captain Marvel Adventures, number one, 1941. Uh, this first complete comic book starring Captain Marvel, following the character's run as a star of the Superior an- Anthology, Wiz Comics. So this was the kind of the debut of Captain Marvel as his own thing. Before long, Joe and Jack find work in national publications, which we know as DC Comics. Kirby and Simon negotiated a deal that would pay them a combined $500 a week, as opposed mm-hmm. to the 75 and 85 they respectively earned at Timely, which were high salaries. Sure. I want to say, I mean, we're talking about a time, you know, you're earning 25 bucks a week, that's a livable salary. Mm-hmm. Uh, they feared publisher Martin Goodman would not pay them if he found their movement to national. But many people knew of their plan, including timely editorial assistant Stan Lee. When Goodman eventually discovered it, he told Simon and Kirby to leave after finishing work on Captain America Comics number 10. So they left a little bit acrimoniously, and I've even read that Kirby did accuse Stan Lee of uh, snitching on him, but snitching. I have no Yeah. <laughs>
0: Now uh, Kirby and Simon spent a couple of weeks coming up with new characters that were not adopted, and uh, Kirby ghosted on a couple of projects that didn't come out so great. Eventually, national editor and co-owner Jack Leibowitz told them, do what you want, and they revamped two characters. They are Sandman and Manhunter, they both appeared in the anthology Adventure Comics. Uh, Manhunter was more a hard reboot with a new identity and everything. Uh, In July 1942, they began the Boy Commandos feature in Star Spangled Comics. Uh, The ongoing Kid Gang series of the same name launched later the same year, and uh, that was the creative team's first national feature to graduate into its own title. It sold over a million copies a month, becoming national's third best-selling title, and it was pretty bad. um,
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> It's it's a product of its time. And you know, you you can't take it out of it. Also in
0: 1942, they debuted the successful newsboy Legion, which is a lot more fun than the the book. It is. (laughs) That was also in star spangled comics issue. Number seven, April, 1942, uh, figuring Simon and Kirby would be drafted into the army soon enough. Jack Leibowitz had them create a year's worth of work. Uh, they would employ inkers, letterers, and colorists to work around the clock so they could crank out the material. Uh, Kirby probably saw the writing on the wall as well and uh, got married to Roz Goldstein on May 23rd, 1942.
1: You don't like that, uh, the way they write that British accent in the uh, boy commandos, you know? It's always like the ridiculous, (laughs) what what are you going to do? It's so over the top. (laughs) Who is it? Yeah, it's it's so bad. (laughs) Uh, so anyway, Kirby was drafted on June seventh, nineteen forty-three. Just a couple weeks later. I know. Oh no, a year and, uh, a, yeah, couple a, year and a couple weeks. A year and a couple weeks. But yeah, he he, he was right to uh, get the Marion because it, it was coming. He landed at Omaha Beach in Normandy on August twenty-third, nineteen forty-four. Two and a half months after D-Day, Kirby recalled that a lieutenant, learning that comics artist Kirby was in his command, made him a scout who would advance into towns before everyone else and draw reconnaissance maps and pictures. Pretty dangerous job, as you might imagine.
2: Yeah.
1: Kirby's wife, Roz, sent him a letter every day while he was stationed in Europe. He finished his tour of duty stateside in 1945 at Camp Butner in North Carolina as part of the motor pool, and he was honorably discharged July 20th, 1945, receiving a combat infantryman badge and a European-African-Middle Eastern theater ribbon with a bronze battle star. After the war, Simon was, and Simon, by the way, was in the Coast Guard during that time. Mm. Uh, he was Simon was able to get work for he and Kirby through Harvey Comics. For Harvey, the duo created such titles as the Kid Gang Adventure Boy Explorers Comics, the Kid Gang Western Boys Ranch, and the superhero comic Stuntman and capitalizing on the 3D movie fad, Captain 3D. Kirby also did some work from Hillman Publications on their true crime books.
0: But it was with Crestwood Publications that Joe and Jack were allowed to set up their own imprint that they called Prize Group. Jack and Joe produced a comic for Hillman periodicals called My Date, this is March 1947 cover date, and that depicted teenage life in a more frank, adult way than depicted before. Uh, usually teens in comic books just became superhero sidekick. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> This gave him a little bit more depth. Uh, this was a massively popular book, and Simon used this windfall to negotiate a deal with Crestwood Set up prize group, where Joe and Jack would have relative artistic freedom and earn a whopping fifty percent of the profits. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> well, we thought twenty-five was wild.
1: You know, I'll tell you. Yeah. I just want to break in for one second. You know, uh, through the through the years, people have often looked at the Joe Simon Jack Kirby team up as being a lopsided. Obviously, Kirby was doing a lot of the artwork. The run- you know what yeah. I mean? And Simon, as we know, he would ink and do some lettering. But obviously, this was his skill here. The negotiation. (laughs) And and let me tell you, Kirby never complained about the partnership. It was always other people. So anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, Kirby would uh, later say that this was the first time creators received sales percentages, which isn't actually true, but almost certainly the first time creators would get such a large share of those sales percentages. Uh, Now... Simon and Kirby published *Young Romance* number one, the September-October 1947 cover date, and in you know, basically, an entire new comics genre was born. Uh, a cover banner explained that the series was quote designed for the more adult readers of comics unquote. My date, incidentally, ran for four issues. Joe and Jack worked for Hillman and Crestwood simultaneously for a short time, which is a testament to just how important these two fellows were.
1: Young Romance went from bi-monthly to monthly and spawned another title, Young Love, also produced by Simon and Kirby, which was also monthly. They kind of they kind of swapped off. Uh, the two of these comics were sold a million copies per month each through the mid-1950s. And also for Prize Group, they created the long-running horror title Black Magic, uh, debuting in 1950, which I think became Black Cat Magic at some point. Uh, according to Jack Kirby, the idea for Spider-Man originated with him and Simon, who developed a character called the Silver Spider for Black Magic, which was subsequently not used. These successes allowed Simon and Kirby, now with his first child, to purchase homes in Mineola, Long Island, diagonally across the street from each other. They would work in home studios. Kirby's was in the basement, and he called it the dungeon. <laughs>
0: Now, at the urging of a Crestwood salesman, Kirby and Simon launched their own comics company called Mainline Publications. This happened in either uh, late 53 or early 54, uh, subletting space from their friend Harvey Publications at uh, 1860 Broadway. They would publish four titles. We have Bullseye Western Scout, which, believe it or not, is a Western comic. Mm -hmm. Foxhole, which, believe it or not, is a (laughs) war comic. (laughs) That had a tagline that that said it was created by actual veterans. That's true. Uh, yes, uh, In Love, a romance comic, and Police Trap, a true crime comic. So uh, we're getting exactly what it's all, what's written on the table. The,
1: ti- the titles are not uh, jerking you around. You know, They no. definitely <laughs> let you know what you're going to get.
0: <laughs> you, ain't, you ain't surprised when you open the uh, book. Now, Simon and Kirby were annoyed that Atlas Comics, which was uh, Marvel in the 50s, had relaunched Captain America in 1954. And so they responded by creating... Fighting American. Then he debuted with Fighting American number one in May 1954, which uh, was Captain America done right. Yeah,
1: that's our that's our <laughs> joke about it. That's uh, but he never said that. But you know, Captain no. America. That's anyway. If you know no. where, if you know what, what the quote that is, you know what we're talking about.
0: Now uh, the character begins as a jingoistic patriot. But in the wake of Joe McCarthy's anti-communist crusade and the backlash against it, he became a more cynical parody of superheroes in the second issue, which was a commentary on 1950s Americanism.
1: Yeah, kind of a weird direction to go for superheroes, which were already kind of not big, you know, at the time, but sure. you know, to, to come up with a cynical superhero. But anyway, uh, after the Kefauver hearings and the instigating of the Comics Code in 1955, the industry contracted and mainline sales slumped. And Joe Simon went into advertising. Mostly. In 1971, Kirby recalled that Simon wanted to do other things, and I stuck with comics. It was fine. There was no reason to continue the partnership, and we parted friends. Uh, Just to say, where they came back, Simon and Kirby team reunited briefly in 1959 with Simon writing and collaborating on art for Archie Comics. They updated the superhero The Shield and two-issue The Double Life of Private Strong. June-August 1959 cover date, and Simon created the superhero of the Fly, and they went on to collaborate on the first two issues of The Adventures of the Fly, August-September 1959 cover, and Simon and other artists, including Al Williamson, Jack Davis, and Carl Burgos, did four issues before Simon returned to working in commercial art. Now, at the same time, Kirby made a temporary return to Atlas Comics, Uh, you know, after all this contention. Inker uh, Frankie Acola had approached editor in chief Stanley for work and suggested he could get Kirby back here to pencil some stuff.
0: Now, while freelancing for national comics publications, Kirby drew 20 stories for Atlas from uh, 1956 to 1957. It began with the five-page minefield that appeared in Battleground number 14. This November 1956 cover, uh, Kirby penciled and, in some cases, inked along with his wife, his wife Roz, and wrote stories for the Western hero Black Rider, the uh, Fu Manchu-like Yellow Claw, and more. Uh, in 1957, distribution troubles caused the Atlas. Implosion. and That resulted in several series being dropped and no new material being assigned for many months. Uh, Kirby co created with writers Dick and Dave Wood the Challenges of the Unknown, and that was in showcase number six, February 1957 cover for DC Comics. Uh, he contributed to the, to the House of Mystery horror anthology. And during 30 months freelancing for DC, Kirby drew slightly more than 600 pages, that included 11 six-page Green Arrow stories in World's Finest Comics and Adventure Comics that, in a rarity, Kirby inked himself. Uh, He would recast Green Arrow as a science fiction space explorer, which displeased the character's creator, Mort Weisinger. And uh, some of those stories are
1: pretty crazy. Yeah, definitely. Not not what you expect from a green
0: arrow, but that's... No, no. Uh, Now, Kirby began drawing a newspaper strip called Sky Masters of the Space Force, and that debuted on September 8th, 1958, written by the Wood Brothers and initially inked by Wally Wood. but you know, not related to the to the woods. Yeah. Uh, a different wood. Now, uh, this was a complicated arrangement. In uh, 1958, Harry Elmark, uh, an agent from the George Matthew Adams service, approached DC Comics editor Jack Schiff to create a sci-fi strip that would capitalize on the space race. Uh, you know, Russia's satellite Sputnik orbited the planet that very same year.
1: Yeah, essentially kicking off the space race. So they were at the forefront of this thing. And uh, we did a longer... Version of the back and forth of this legal problems here in, I guess that must have been, I don't know what episode that was, Chris, uh, whatever. Yeah, Kirby Simon. Maybe it was Kirby Simon. That would make sense. Yeah, the Kirby Simon weird comics history. Weird comic history. But uh, I have, we've collapsed it here a little bit just for expediency, believe it or not. Uh, at Schiff's <laughs> urgings, Kirby and Wood first created Space Busters, which was rejected. They went back to the drawing board and the Sky Master the Space Force was born. Now, Dave Wood of the Wood Brothers promised Schiff a payment for arranging the deal, which Jack understood to be a one-time thing, but Schiff thought was a percentage. Plus, while he would, the inker requested a higher cut for inking the work than previously arranged. They eventually settled on a four uh, percent to shift, four percent of the money to shift after the inker was paid. But by July, shift requested a higher percentage before the ship strip debuted on September 8, 1958, in over 300 newspapers. Sort of a mean trick there. Mm-hmm. With the arrival of the first royalty checks, the Wood brothers sent money to shift, but Kirby refused. This led to some tension between himself and DC, from who he was working for, don't forget. Uh, Kirby offered to buy Schiff out of his contract, but Schiff refused and fired Kirby from Challengers of the Unknown. Schiff claimed that Kirby was reusing ideas from Challengers for Skymasters. On December 11, 1958, Kirby discovered that Schiff was suing both he and the Woods for breach of contract and countersued Schiff. Kirby claimed that Schiff was merely an editor who had assigned him, the Wood Brothers, and Eddie Heron freelance work, that Kirby and the Woods had visited Elm Lark without Schiff, that Schiff was not involved in the agency agreement, but that he and the Woods had offered Schiff a gift. Kirby further alleged that Schiff had implied that not paying his demands would lead to Kirby losing work at DC. That Jack Leibowitz, we mentioned before, who by that time was executive vice president and general manager of National DC Comics, Testified on Schiff's behalf, and the signed agreement promising Schiff an ongoing percentage led to Schiff being successful after, quote, a very short trial at the Supreme Court in White Plains, New York. Kirby left D.C. after this, but continued to draw Skymasters until 1961. Uh, Aside from that, Kirby also bristled at some D.C. editors and criticized him over art details, such as what he said was not drawing, quote, the shoelaces on a cavalryman's boots, and showing a Native American, quote, mounting his horse from the, long, the wrong side. Hmm. I'm not sure about that part, but the other stuff <laughs> is all public record. Uh, yes. They're all legal stuff. Kirby also sued DC for $130,000 in royalty or some other money he felt owed, and they paid him 10 grand. Not a bad day at the office. I guess not. Now, beginning in
0: 1959, Kirby would return to Atlas, you know, Marvel, despite uh, some lingering resentment uh, towards Stan Lee. Uh, Because of the poor page rates, Kirby would spend 12 to 14 hours daily at his drawing table at home and produce four to five pages of artwork a day. Yeesh, that's a lot of work Um, Now, his first published work in Atlas Was the cover of, and the seven page story I discovered The Secret of the Flying Saucers That was Strange World's number one December 1958 cover date Now, during this time Kirby would draw a little of everything He created Groot, the thing from uh, Planet X That was in Tales to Astonish number 13 Cover dated November 1960 Also Fin Fang Foom uh, The diapered uh, dragon In uh, Strange Tales number 18 89, that is October 1961 cover date, among many, many other weird monsters and characters. Uh, he was a major and popular contributor to Amazing Adventures, Strange Tales, Tales to Astonish, Tales of Suspense, and World of Fantasy. Uh, legend states that DC Comics owner Harry Donenfeld, while golfing with Martin Goodman, uh, crowed about the success of his superhero team-up title, Justice League of America, and now you know the rest of the story. Ooh. <laughs> and now we will read
1: that story. That's a story from that story. <laughs> so we're going to read uh, Fantastic Four, number 51, titled This Man, This Monster. Now the cover of this depicts Ben Grimm, a.k.a. The Thing, standing dead center on the page, looking very pensive and conflicted. Behind him, Reed Richards is trapped in some kind of diffusing machine, and Sue is running up to Ben with her usual worried look. She only has one look, especially at the issue, and she looks very worried. The splash page, as we open it, uh, shows the thing standing on a New York City street in the rain, and boy, it's like really raining. I mean, like, pouring.
0: Buckets. Yeah, you, it's like you notice that it doesn't. It, n- it never just drizzles in the no. Marvel universe. It's, you know, it's sunny or cloudy or it is a torrential downpour.
1: Yeah. Or there's uh, a, a no. fleet a fleet of alien ships in the sky. That's the other weather. Oh, question, yeah. There's yeah. that
0: too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one. You, that, that's one one of the weathers you can't really predict. No. Uh, now uh, a caption reiterates the title, which was also featured on the cover.
1: Caption reads: The fabulous FF must solve the terrible riddle of.
0: This man, this monster. And the credits promise quite possibly this may be one of the greatest illustrated epics yet produced by, and the creators they they don't get any silly adjectives. There's no uh, no smiling Stan. It's just no. This is this just regular straight.
1: Too serious a story for that kind of uh, frivolity. I think. Yes. Uh, the thing lurches along some the street on his terribly rainy evening, and he's thinking thing thoughts.
0: Yes, including, I'll never be human again. I'll live and die
1: just the way I am. Now a cop car pulls up alongside Ben Grimm and the cop inside says, You want to lift, big fella? A guy can catch a cold that way.
2: A normal guy, you mean. Weather don't bother me.
0: Is anything wrong? You look kind of beat. God, oh, don't mind me. I'm okay. Everything's coming up roses. See you around.
1: Ben slinks down a dark alley and feeling real sorry for himself.
0: That's kind of what he does. Mm-hmm. He goes, <laughs> They tried to be helpful. Yeah, some chance. How do you help an orange-skinned freak who's gallant? Give him, give him the air. And then he thinks to himself, I wonder what made me walk to this neighborhood. Almost like something was pulling. Hey. A
1: bald man with a weirdly low brow reaches out from a nearby doorway and he says, I saw you out there in the rain. Why not come in when it's warm and dry?
0: What is this? Be nice to Gargoyles Week or something?
1: Uh, ben still accepts his offer and upon entering the home sits right down in a mid century desk.
0: Complete with an ashtray Which yeah. uh, we really don't see around much anymore just kind of struck out to me I was like oh wow is one of those things. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to learn to draw those anymore uh, no. <laughs> It's clear that this bald dude Is up to no good He thinks to himself
1: He still
2: suspects nothing I must be careful So very careful
0: I'll just sit here for a minute I'm tired of walking Tired of thinking
1: The bald guy makes Ben a cup of coffee And then they have a chat
0: What's your angle, pal? You a talent scout for a freak show or something? No, but I too have been rejected. I'm a scientist, but
1: I'm also a man who knows how it feels to be scorned by others. To be mocked
0: and ridiculed because of my theories. Knock it off, you're breaking my heart. One read Richards is enough. Ah, uh, I wish I had Richards'
2: money and his equipment with his reputation. His
1: fame, he could accomplish seeming miracles. Mm, you sure come on strong, mister. And then Ben prepares to leave this weird guy's home.
0: Well, thanks for the Java, chum. I'm gonna grab me some shut-eye.
1: Uh, this guy thinks to himself, He's
0: tired. The coffee worked well.
1: And then he says aloud, Wait! No need to go out in the rain. I have a couch
2: you could use. It isn't much, but if you're sleepy... I,
0: I don't get it. I can hardly keep my peepers open. I'm pushed. And so Ben decides to lie down on a tasteful looking yellow couch. And
1: yeah, then the bald guy thinks to himself,
0: So far, so good. He's
1: sound asleep. Everything has worked perfectly. After tonight, they'll laugh at my theories no longer. I'll have proven myself at last. And then I'll score the greatest triumph of all single handed. I'll destroy the
0: entire Fantastic Four. There's nothing, nothing would get you in everybody's good graces yeah. better than that, right? I mean,
1: he, he, here's a guy, one of them's getting get an offer to get a ride from the cops, and you're about to destroy the whole team.
0: Mm-hmm. To, to win favor.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not going to make you popular, but... Uh, no. Thus, I'll prove for all time that I'm the mental superior of Reed Richards.
0: A lot of people have that hang-up, don't yeah. they?
1: I don't see anybody asking, you know, like,
0: can't prove anything. uh, Boldy opens a closet, and within it is a lot of Kirby tech. Mm -hmm. He says, I've
1: spent a lifetime creating my duplication apparatus, and it's taken long months of patient planning to lure the thing into this room using my short-range subliminal influencer,
0: Plus, there was a, like a half a day that he spent uh, scraping his knuckles with an Allen wrench, putting together an IKEA dresser. Oh, I know.
1: That can, that can make me <laughs> Oh, that's, that's rough. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now the creep puts, uh, puts an apparatus on the thing, on, it, on his head, and uh, straps himself into some sort of harness.
2: But now, all the labor, all the waiting,
1: all the scheming will pay off at last. I'm through being a loser. This time, I've got the winning hand. As for the thing, there's no way he could ever stop me. He was the perfect choice for my experiment because our slight skeletal resemblance, that fact will make the duplication process
2: all the more effective.
0: You know, you don't want to steal somebody's identity And then have to go through and buy a whole new wardrobe That's just just a lot of work Uh, And so Mr. Shiny Dome fires up the device And in a sequence of panels Similar to Ben Grimm's original transformation Into the thing back in Fantastic Four number one This bald fella turns into a mess of orange rocks and sad eyes
1: Yeah, and over those three panels or four panels He says,
2: it's working as I knew it would I can sense it. I can feel it. My
1: apparatus is duplicating the thing. Cell for cell, molecule for molecule. It's over. I'm an exact replica of him. Now all his
0: fame and his power are mine. Unfortunately, he's also inherited Ben's debt to
1: Columbia House. Mm, Yeah, you can never get out of that one.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you tape a penny to a piece of paper, and they got you for life. They got you for life. (laughs) (laughs) Now now we're going to look over to Ben Grimm, and it shows that he's Ben Grimm. He's not the thing anymore. So this isn't so much a duplicating machine as it is a stealing machine.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would have thought it would have made two things, but Right, um, to duplicate. You (laughs) you know, we're not the scientists, Chris. I don't know.
0: Uh, No, no, we're not.
1: So now, uh, as the thing, he sees the scientists. he tries to get into the role and says,
0: as for the
2: real thing, he's got no cause to complain. He returned to his normal form. Now I am the monster, and not he.
0: You know, now that he says it aloud, this, this doesn't sound like a great plan, does not
2: it? Not really, do No. <laughs>
0: I've made myself a terrifying monster.
1: Great. Oh, great. Winning. Uh, good job.
0: <laughs> but now this is only the beginning of the mad scientist plan. Now he must spend time practicing Ben's mannerisms and way of speaking.
1: Hey, what's wrong with the way he talks? Hey, everything's
0: good here. <laughs> now, a few days later, at the Fantastic Four headquarters, the Baxter Building, Reed is, you know, what he doing what he usually does. He's working on a massive doohickey while Sue looks on imploringly. Reed says, I'll have to skip dinner tonight, Sue. I can't stop working now. She says, but that's what you said last night, Reed, and the night before. I'm sorry, dear. But it won't take too much longer If this works, it will give Earth A weapon with which to fight Extraterrestrial menaces Such as Galactus Do you think he'll return? Come on, he hangs around Earth So often these days, you almost think he's got Like a summer home on Jupiter or something, right? He's he's always there
1: I think he opened an ice cream stand in a recent issue of Avengers He was just uh, (laughs) making some scratch
0: You know, it's funny you say that And I I can actually see them doing it (laughs) It might actually happen, yeah (laughs) Reed goes, there's always a chance, and in this new space age, we must have adequate defenses against any attack. I
2: I think you know more than you're telling me. You've had work crews all week building new machines,
0: especially that one in the locked, lead-lined room. How did you find out? Their, their conversation is interrupted because Fake Thing strolls into the
1: place. That's right. <clears throat> What's this about a locked
2: room, Stretcho? Ben, you're back! Sure, it's nice of you to notice!
0: Fo Thing explains that he was just on a little walkabout to clear his head.
1: You know, for several days.
0: He does that from yeah. time to time, right? Everyone who doesn't. <laughs> Reed goes, I hope you got whatever was bothering you out of your system. We've no time for prima donnas here.
2: Relax, Hambone. I'm okay now. Hey, where's the torch?
0: He's attending Metro College. But I'll tell you about it later. We've work to do now. You're just in time to move that Mieson particle smasher for me.
1: Reed gestures at a massive machine that looks sort of like a cigarette lighter. (laughs) It's really weird. Yeah. Uh, The uh, scientist says, (laughs) what? Me? Move that?
0: It's like he's already forgotten that he's a thing.
1: I know. This is not why you did this.
0: I <laughs> know. <laughs> fake thing that goes over and picks it up easily and, and even boasts about it. Hey, how about that? With one hand yet? Over here, Ben. Come on, step on it. What's gotten into you, big fella?
1: And then all of a sudden, Ben Grimm, the real Ben Grimm, appears, and he's got a green suit from somewhere.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> he goes, Can't you guess what's gotten into him, big
2: brain? That sounds like Ben! Watch yourself, Stretch. That guy's a fake. He ain't the real thing. I am. Read!
0: It, it isn't possible, but look! Easy. There must be an answer. Alright, smart guy. Talk. How'd you do it? How'd you turn yourself into the thing? I said talk! Wait till I stop trembling, sonny! Now, the fake thing proves that he's the real thing by crushing a titanium bar in front of them.
1: Because there are, like, only a dozen people in the Marvel Universe that can crush titanium bars, of course. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, Reed addresses Ben Grimm directly.
0: Look, friend, I'll admit you bear an uncanny resemblance to Ben Grimm, but I don't know how you can expect to get away with such a foolish claim. You, you
2: mean you, you don't believe me? You got John real quick, bub!
0: All right, I'm not, I ain't gonna bang my head against a stone wall. I'm Ben Grimm and nothing can change that. I know it and he knows it. But if you want to play footsie with him, go ahead. What I care, it's your funeral. Maybe it'll teach you a lesson for once. Reed Richards, boy genius. Haw, oh, what a laugh.
1: And Ben storms off angrily.
0: Reed goes, It's incredible. Not only is he a dead ringer for you, Ben, but he sounds just like you.
2: Big deal. He's probably been taking elocution lessons. Too bad I had to blow the guy's gimmick. I wonder what he was after. You know, for a minute there, I thought you were starting to believe that phony. If his story weren't so impossible, he did seem to be Ben Grimm.
0: Because he probably doesn't know words like elocution. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But you know, this is a crazy story. You know, this guy stole my identity. Yeah, we never heard of.
1: Him. That was the only the old, old <laughs> that's story. His,
0: that's his tall tale. Uh, Reed goes. Now, don't get huffy, Benjamin. You know I'd trust you with my life. In fact, that's just what I'm about to do.
1: Huh? Now, what in blazes are you talking about?
0: I've got to test a machine I've just completed, Ben. And if anything goes wrong, only you can save me.
1: Yeah, it's a, a high-tech beer bong. And if Reed starts to sputter, then Ben has to take over the hose. That's uh, <laughs> And only he can do it.
0: Only him. Only yeah. Him.
2: <laughs> Reed, what do you mean? What is
0: it? You, you haven't told me. There isn't time, Sue. Have faith in me, as I have in Ben.
1: And if you can't do that, then just shut your yap. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reed explains all those interstellar threats, Galactus, the Watcher, Silver Surfer, they've mastered the space-time principle, meaning they can break the speed of light. That's the problem. Yeah.
0: There can be no defense against a faster-than-life attack, faster-than-light attack. And so, for the safety of Earth, the sake of human race, man, too much break the space barrier.
1: Uh, Reed opens a weird-looking door labeled Danger Experiment Space Time. <laughs> the door. Yeah, it's very important to label your doors. Yes. Beyond the door is one of the craziest Kirby machines ever drawn. It's it's looks more like a Rube Goldberg machine. It's all over the place.
0: Yeah, I can make Pee Wee Herman his breakfast. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> Reed goes. This huge, radical cube is designed to create a dimensional entrance into subspace, which is the area I must explore. I'm going to enter the cube now, Ben. While you hold that reel of super tensile strength cable.
1: And uh, anyone looking at this page while they're, you know, or knows this page, would you call that a cube? Does it look, I I don't understand where this came from, but, uh... It's a subspace cube. I get it. it, It's subspace. (laughs) It it counts as a cube. Uh, The scientist says, what am I supposed to do with the blame thing?
0: If I run into any danger, I'll tug on it. And you're to pull me back here immediately, no matter what. Reed, wait, take me with you, please. Let me go, too. I can't, my darling. But knowing you're here waiting, I'll come back through Satan himself should, by the way.
1: Also, it's just going to be like a lot of guys playing poker. You wouldn't have any fun there.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you do your thing, I'll do mine. Exactly.
1: You stay home and keep the house clean. I'll be back soon.
0: Yeah, and so we're going to go check in on Johnny Storm before Reed, you know, hops to his doom.
1: Caption reads, At that very moment, unaware of the crisis rapidly developing at FF headquarters, Johnny Storm and his college roommate Wyatt Wingfoot are at the cozy campus coffee shop.
0: Now, cozy campus campus coffee is spelled with three K's, incidentally. Yikes! Which is probably a poor marketing situation in most
1: districts. I don't think that I don't think that would happen today, though. No, no, no. no. Uh, his roommate Wyatt says they sure are noisy in that booth behind us, Johnny.
0: And Johnny goes, "Yeah, it's Whitey Mullins, the big mouth football star, and his personal cheering section."
1: Uh, Whitey Mullins is a brawny guy with a blonde crew cut and an orange sweatshirt, and yes, he is white.
0: Mm-hmm. A one of his uh, one of his groupies, a girl, goes, "I hear that the human torches enrolled at Metro. Whitey looks like he'll be having some competition now."
1: Whitey says, "Not a chance, sugar. Take away his flame, and he's nothing."
0: Dude says, got news for you Whitey, he's in the next booth
1: And now it's time for everyone to crowd around Johnny
0: <laughs> Whitey Mullins turns around as well
1: yeah, Another g- guy in the group says, you're Johnny Storm right? Say hello to Whitey Mullins
0: Okay, hello No, he's not Whitey
1: So that's the famous human torch, big deal Be- Better turn around Johnny, Whitey wants to talk to you
0: Johnny continues to eat his brown thing. I don't know what. I have no and idea what that it's is. It's brown food piece. <laughs> yeah. Uh Foodstuffs. Yeah. Uh, Johnny goes. So let him talk.
1: How about showing us what you can do, kid? Let's see your flame on. And Johnny gives him a thumbs-up sign, and his thumb is on fire. It's drink- a little trick. <laughs> little, exactly. Flick. <laughs> uh, while drinking his cup of coffee, Johnny says,
0: All right, if he will get rid of you so I can finish my job in peace, here. Satisfied?
1: That's a pretty neat trick, both the flame thumb and the talking while drinking. It's like a ventriloquism uh, mm-hmm. act. Lady of Spain, I adore you. Exactly. Uh, Whitey <laughs> says,
2: Sure, I'll even help douse it for you, like this.
0: And Whitey dumps a glass of water on Johnny's head. (laughs) Ha!
2: Good old Whitey! He's a panic!
1: Hey! Johnny leaps up to face Whitey while drying his face with a towel.
0: Great sense of humor you got, Mullins. How do you like a fat lip to go with it?
1: Uh, You wouldn't talk so big if you weren't a human torch, squirt.
0: But he is, so maybe you should stop bullying him? Perhaps. (laughs) Johnny goes, I don't need my flame to handle a crumb like you. I say you do! Now Wyatt Wingfoot gets up from the booth. And now we know why he's he's done it.
1: Yeah, Wyatt says, and I say that he doesn't. Who the heck are you?
0: Stay out of it, Wyatt. This is my fight.
1: My name is Wyatt Wingfoot and I don't like to see my friends pushed around. Not even by a granite-brained gridiron star.
0: One of Whitey's groupies goes, ooh, look at those shoulders.
1: If you think those are nice, you gotta get a load of his knees. Mm. Group <laughs> says, uh Wakefoot Wakefoot? why does that name sound so familiar? So the torch has to go around with a bodyguard, huh?
0: Knock it off, Mullins. This ain't his fight.
1: Why don't you just go back to you- oh why don't you just go back to your booth? <laughs> no one tells me what to
0: do. Just then a football coach wades into the crowd to break things up. He goes, Mullins, what's going on here? I warned you about that temper of yours.
1: Relax, Coach. We're just having a peaceful discussion, that's all.
2: Back away, smart guy. You're not fooling anyone. Look, Coach,
1: you can chew me out on the field or in the locker room, but this isn't any of your business. He clearly marked the proper zones to harass him with yellow tape, so there should be no confusion.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was perfectly clear. Right. (laughs) The coach goes, so long as you're on my team, anything you do is my business. And don't you ever forget it, Mullins. Don't blame him, Coach Thorpe. I guess it was just as much my fault.
1: but But it wasn't. It really wasn't. Uh, you didn't Johnny. do anything. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, Whitey says, "Nuts! I'm cutting out. I don't need a twerp like the torch putting in a good word for me, especially when it's a total lie. Like, Whitey, what White? are you doing that for?"
0: Yeah, <laughs> Johnny thinks to himself, "I sure feel so- sorry for Coach Thorpe. How do you keep your star quarterback in line when you both know the team's nothing without him?"
1: Uh, have a more merit based and not sports based scholarships at the school. That's one way to do something about that. That, that is one
0: way to
1: do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whitey having stormed off like a baby, uh, Coach Thorpe turns his attention to Wyatt Wingfoot. People just can't get enough of those shoulders, boy.
0: They are dreaming. They are <laughs> dreaming. <laughs> the coach uh, goes, Say, what's your name, big fella? I haven't seen you here before.
1: I am Wyatt Wingfoot, sir.
0: Wingfoot? I should have guessed. The size of you, your features to be related to big will wingfoot the greatest olympic decathlon star this country ever had
1: now will wingfoot is not a, a real person but jim no. thorpe or also known as watho hulk huck was a native american athlete who played college football and some professional baseball in his younger years during the early 20th century and he did win the gold medal for the decathlon the united states uh for the united states in the 1912 olympics
0: But he was stripped of the medal later on when his semi-professional status was discovered, violating the Olympics clause about amateur competition. Uh, He played professional football until he was 41 years old, and he would pass away on March 28, 1953, at the age of 65.
1: Yeah, and he says, Wyatt says, Yes, he was my father.
2: I knew it!
0: How soon can you come out for practice?
1: I'm sorry. I'm not interested in athletics, Coach Thorpe.
0: But your father, he was...
1: There is nothing more to be said, sir. So, Korchthorpe returned to his table at the KK Coffee Shop, where <clears throat> his wife has been sitting and waiting patiently.
0: Yes. He's really upset that Wyatt Wingfoot won't play football for him. He's, uh, like, really
1: Really, upset. overly upset. His wife
2: yes. says, Don't worry, Jim. Tell me how to play No, not like him.
0: Don't you see, Bill? His father and I, we were teammates. We were great together, and now fate has sent Wyatt to me. It's my big chance to coach the greatest team of all before I retire. I've got to make him play. And we'll put a pin in that story and return to that business with Reed, Sue, and the phony thing.
1: <laughs> uh, caption reads, in fact, but now it's time to return to the Baxter Building, where Reed Richards is about to undertake one of the most dangerous feats of his career.
2: Reed, my darling! Don't do it! I have a premonition of disaster! Or at least let me come with
0: you! Now, why in the world would she want to go with him if she had a premonition of disaster? Did she have a suicide pact or something? (laughs) (laughs) Reed goes, it's impossible, Sue, but I can't turn back now. Subspace must be explored and conquered for the good of mankind. And
1: then the scientist, as the thing, thinks to himself... I always thought he was just a glamour pants. Uh, what now? A glamour Man. pants, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Out for all the dough and glory he could get. But he's tackling a job that won't net him a plug nickel. And he's doing it without any fanfare fanfare or any publicity.
0: Now, why does the bald guy's voice sound like the thing inside his own head?
1: Yeah, it must be method acting. But if, if, if <laughs> You're right. Later, it's very <laughs> weird. Uh, Reed prepares to be selfless in front of fake thing and sue.
0: Yeah, Reed goes, remember, Ben, don't let go, don't get go of that line. My life is in your hands. And then he thinks to himself, there can be no turning back now. Once I push this lever, the phase drive mechanism will be automatically activated. It must be done, no matter what.
1: So Reed throws the lever on his machine and hops into the, uh, you know, cube. Oh. And uh, whatever, you know. <laughs> and he's immersed in a sea of red and Kirby dots.
0: I've done it. The universe seems to be tearing itself open. Falling apart. I've shredded the very fabric of infinity, where all positive matter is transposed into negative form. And now, I'm plunging through the resulting void which I've created in the space-time dimensional barrier.
1: Well, I put a buck into a soda machine and got two cans of Sprite last week. You don't see me crowing about it. I mean, come you on. You should, though. You I should. should. I cool. really. Sh- I should have, yeah. That was definitely a Twitter post I could have made. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Reed now plummets through successive abstract Jack Kirby dimensions.
0: It's almost more than human eyes can bear. I'm actually witnessing a four-dimensional universe, but the effect of seeing it with three-dimensional vision is indescribable.
1: It looks sort of like the doodles and the marshes of a notebook. It's like all weird, just
0: random shapes and stuff. Yes, it, it is, and it is very describable, as you can tell. Yeah, uh, pretty much. <laughs> Reed continues, "The line which is tied to me is my only contact with reality. If that should break, I'd be lost forever."
1: Mm, that seems like an important point. We should probably remember.
0: Maybe the most important point.
1: Probably, yeah. Uh, Reed careeds <laughs> through the fourth dimension, or whatever it is, faster and faster until he reproaches the edge of subspace. The following page, showing a subspace, is a splash of a Jack Kirby photo collage. This is a technique he applied several times to comic books in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, due to the crude printing and reproduction of comics at the time, though, and this is an opinion, they really never quite worked. What, yeah, uh, they
0: always kind of took you out of
1: it. They they they're cool in their way, but yeah, so a, there's a, the shading never quite worked correctly. When you see them, you're like, wow, this is different. But that's pretty yeah. much the only reaction I ever had to it. Uh, but it's interesting. It's interesting to consider that Jack Kirby, already putting in eighty hours a week drawing, would slow down to even do this. Obviously, right? He, I, I think it was just he just artistically expressing himself and wanted to play with another medium, and that's that's what Should. he did. Uh, one time, assistant Mark Emnier says he made colleges for his personal enjoyment. Right up until his death, so hmm. he just dug doing it. I and mean, to be honest, I would kind of like to see the originals over the comic reproduction. Oh, absolutely! I think it's a it's a Definitely. totally different game over there.
0: Sure. Now Reed continues. I've done it. I'm drifting into a world of limitless dimensions. It's the crosswords of crossroads of infinity. The junction to everywhere.
1: Or it's a bunch of ping-pong balls and lids to soup cans, as you like it. Whatever you you see is what it is, you
0: know. (laughs) Reed is pulled along by some unknown force, along with lots of giant rocks and rubble. Caption
1: reads, And then, suddenly, the lone, dedicated human who is Reed Richards sees the senses-shattering fate that seems to await him.
0: Ahead of me, it's the one thing I feared. The one thing that there could be no defense against. The elements of subspace are being irresistibly drawn back toward Earth. But here in subspace, all matter is negative, while Earth is positive. Therefore, whatever strikes the atmosphere of Earth must instantly explode.
1: Now, we can't claim to understand what Reed's going on about. Not a whit. But <laughs> you can see that the rocks hurtling towards the planet are exploding, and that's the that's the takeaway from this. The
0: proof's in the pudding, <laughs> yeah. yes. Uh, now, Reed tugs on his line to the fake thing. But
1: Hey, the fake thing thinks to himself
0: He's tugging All I gotta
1: do is ignore him And I'll have beaten the one man I always envied The one man
2: no one else could ever defeat But all of a sudden I don't envy him anymore I never knew how brave he was How unselfish That doesn't
1: sound like the thing anymore No, he stopped I don't know what happened, he stopped
2: (laughs) Just for that one scene
1: uh, Sue says
2: Ben! The line is growing taut! It's Reed! It's his signal!
1: But the scientist still thinking to himself,
2: All these years, when I thought I never got the brakes, now I know
1: the truth. It was my fault. Nobody else's. I wouldn't work hard enough. I wouldn't make the sacrifices that a Reed Richards would.
0: Heck of a time to have a crisis, crisis of conscience, isn't it?
2: Pull him in, Ben! Quickly! Ben! I never saw things so clear before. It's
1: almost like I've really become the thing. Not just an imitation.
2: Ben, for the love of heaven! I never did a worthwhile thing in my whole life. But now, I finally got the chance. I could
0: really be Ben Grimm. Aw, man, this is how Mark David Chapman got started.
1: (laughs) It got got, got creepy. (laughs) Uh, That that, uh, the scientist who, remember, is the thing, says don't worry, lady. I'll get him now.
0: When Fake Thing tugs on the steel cable, it snaps. I I
2: waited too long. It snapped. He's done for. And it's because of me.
0: Oh no! No! Now Sue is ready to jump right into the dimensional doohickey, but Fake Thing won't hear of it.
2: Stay back, do you hear? Stay back! There's nothing you can do. Whatever's happening to him in there. Only a massive muscle can help.
0: Would you care to explain how you know this?
2: You wait out there, baby. I'll whistle if I need you. Maybe, if I'm lucky, I can still grab that busted hunk of line before it's too late.
0: Now Fake Thing jumps into the mass of red color and kirby knots just in time to seize the end of the rapidly disappearing rope.
1: And Captain Butt, in making his last-ditch desperate leap after the thin strand of cable, the man with the Thing's body is himself, instantly drawn into the incredible barrier between the dimensions. Now I've done it. Whatever happened to Richards will happen to me, too. I can't turn back. Luckily, the body of the Thing is strong enough to withstand extreme conditions without a protective helmet, or I'd be done for already.
0: Eventually, Fake Thing finds Reed Richards, who's standing on a piece of rock.
1: He thinks to himself, the scientist.
0: There he is. Still alive. But for how long? Ben, you fool. You shouldn't have come after me. Now we're both doomed. You were just supposed to pull the line when I tugged. Ben, old friend, I don't want this to happen to you. In a few seconds, we'll reach the atmosphere below us, and it'll mean instant death. If only you hadn't come.
1: Reed could have died in the nude the way he always wanted. Right? Sorry, just thinks to himself...
2: So this is how it's going to end. And even now,
0: he's worried more about me than himself. Brace yourself, Ben. We did the best we could. One could do no more. You you were the greatest partner a man ever had. Uh, don't tell his wife there. No, don't do that. Yeah.
1: scientist thinks,
2: that's the guy I spent years hating, being jealous
1: of. I, I ain't even worth his little pinky. Then suddenly...
0: Fake Thing grabs Reed and rears back.
1: He says,
2: Maybe we don't have to both
1: die, mister.
0: Ben, what are you doing?
1: Fake Thing chucks Reed back in the direction from whence they came. And then the scientist thinks to himself, The one worthwhile thing I ever did in my whole wasted life. Even the strength with now I possess, I stole from another. But maybe I can use that strength to even the score somehow. I tossed him back in exactly the same direction I came from. He's out of sight now, so I'll never know. And he says, So long, Richards. I hope you make it.
0: And Fake Thing sits on his rock and prepares himself for imminent destruction.
1: As for me, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. Not many men get a second chance to make up for the rotten things they've done in their lifetime. I guess I'm luckier than most. I got that chance. Finally, for I finally learned what it means to have a friend.
0: Which you also stole from another. That's
1: right. Uh,
0: <laughs> Don't uh, mean to kick you while you're down.
1: Not but... really, your friend, but okay. <laughs> uh, and, if that, and then the caption reads, And at uh, that moment, in another section of our vast, unfathomable universe, unaware of the dire danger confronting Reed Richards, the real Ben Grimm prepares to pay a call.
0: Yes, he thinks to himself... My only hope is that Alicia will be able to tell who I am. Being blind, she's more sensitive to a person's true self than anyone with sight might be. Even though she can't see, I'm still kind of nervous to be facing her with a to be facing her like a normal man. It's what I always wanted, always dreamed of. If only it had happened some other way. I can't let that phony take my place in the FF. There's no telling what'll happen if he does.
1: And then as Ben prepares to knock on Alicia's apartment door, he sees his hand has turned all orange and rocky again.
2: My, my hand.
1: Startled, shocked, stunned into speechlessness, he has no way of knowing that, a universe away, the man who had taken his identity has now given it up again. Forever. Finally, when the initial numbed reaction has passed,
0: I, I've become the thing again. Now I can go back and at that creep who was posing as me. Besides, by turning into Ben Grimm again, I might have had a chance with Alicia, even against the silver surfer. But now, it's too late. I'm a walking, living monster again. Maybe this is the real me. Maybe Ben Grimm is nothing more than a dream.
1: After Ben stormed off to do some clobbering, Alicia does open the door, wondering who's playing Ding Dong Ditch around here.
0: It's kind of mean to do to a blind yeah, woman. Yeah, okay, right?
1: Especially, especially,
0: yes. <laughs> now, back at the back of the building, Reed Richards sails back through his portal with a... whoosh.
2: Reed! Reed, my darling! It's you! You're alive! He did it! I'm back! Ben saved you! I knew he would! I knew it! He's mm-hmm. never failed us yet! But, Reed! Reed! Where is he? He didn't return with you! What happened to him?
0: So... I don't know how to say it It happened too quickly One moment we were together And then it was over
1: Sounds like the end of my senior prom hmm
0: <laughs> It's my fault, Sue The line I told him to hold it must, it must have pulled him into subspace No, darling, no He didn't do as you said He
2: waited too long Until the line snapped I saw him what a tattletale. Yeah, I know. Come on. <laughs> He's dead already, right? Jeez, let, let the guy have let his eyes
0: glory. Yeah. Now Reed says, Don't try to spare my feelings, dear. You know how I felt about Ben. He was more than just a friend. I'd have given my life for him a thousand times. If we only we knew why he didn't pull the line in time. What does it matter now?
2: With him gone...
1: Uh, Just then, Ben Grimm, the original, shows up.
0: But he lurks in the shadows and observes the scene. He thinks to himself, that phony must have bit the dust, and they still think he was me. The jaw-breaking, egg-headed square. He does have feelings after all. Who would have guessed?
1: So then Ben emerges from his hidey hole. He says,
0: you can cool the crying towel bit now. I'm alive and kicking, like always. It was that other guy I warned you about who cashed in. And Reed goes, Ben? Or is it Ben? How can we know? It is the real Ben.
2: I can sense it, Reed. That's the answer I was looking for. That's why the
0: other Ben didn't pull the line in time. He was an imposter. It's too good to be true, but I'll trust Sue's feminine intuition anytime.
1: Yeah, apparently Reed Richards got his science degree from a Peruvian correspondence school, because I don't think that's part of the empirical method, right? I don't think so. I don't it's believe not. so. No.
0: <laughs> no, Sue gives Ben a big ol' hug. Oh, Ben! Ben, dearest! We thought we had lost you! Easy, Susie gal. Your husband might get jealous and try to polish me off with some new 50-buck words. Okay, now. What about that rotten creep who tried to take My place here? What's the lowdown On him? Try not to judge him too harshly, Ben Somehow, at the last minute Some of your own heroism Reached out through the endless void And touched him
1: Or he felt guilty Right? Same difference, yeah. really, same thing That's,
0: feeling, oh. feeling guilty sounds A little less dirty, too <laughs> Yeah, really <laughs> Ben goes I'd still like to have gotten my own paws on him Just once It's too late for that now, old friend We'll never know what monstrous things he had done in the past Or what monstrous plans he had made But one thing is certain He paid the full price And he paid it like a man
1: that's the full price for any transgression you make. Just save Reed Richards' life, and the slate—the slate is wiped clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, caption reads something very tantalizing. Uh, next issue, destined to be the most talked-about character of the year: the Black Panther.
0: Next issue came out in
1: 2018. Yeah, you think so? But uh, mm. no, he was actually talked about back then too. Uh, So this was a pretty weird issue, huh, Chris? It was, it was indeed. not really, uh, I I remember reading it years ago and reading it again, I was like, this really didn't go the direction I expected it to, Uh, but it was definitely interesting. Yeah, I'll say that. Yes, that's that's
2: a good word for it.
1: Uh, I I do like, I like the fact that the, the bald guy who becomes the fake thing, we never, he never has a name. He's always just like nameless. Doctor Scientist, guys. doctor, Scientist, guy, you know, yeah. has an axe to grind with Reed Richards. I don't even know if they ever met before. You know, we don't even know if there's a history there. Uh, and also the fact that Ben Grimm, you know, he he cures himself. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's almost of a mind. You'd think, uh, you know, if you if you were the thing, or if you were Ben Grimm and have his feelings, you would take any chance. You know, I like I'm. Absolutely. I'm sorry that this guy has to you know be a Rocky Orange monster, but I'm free and I'm good. <laughs> Uh, so it was interesting that you know he kind of went the other way with it. He'd rather clear his name and thought about. I mean, and that's obviously
0: rejoin his family. Yeah,
1: yeah, that that's obviously the thing is that the FF is his uh, true family, and he what 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 going on with them matters much more to him than his own comfort and handsome looks. But uh, had a good time with that as I always do. Sure. With lovely Silver Age uh, Marvel Age comic. But of course, we have more to talk about. We're going to come back after a short break. Talk about Stan Lee. The rest to wrap up on Jack Kirby, and then we're going to talk about the tragic hero in literature and comics.
0: It was the world's strangest accident while testing a new rocket ship. Our heroes were bombarded by mysterious cosmic rays from outer space. While they crash landed safely, the strange and powerful rays had changed each one of them, transforming their leader, Reed Richards, into the plastic-skinned Mr. Fantastic. Sue Richards into the Now You See Her, Now You Don't, Invisible Girl. And Ben Grimm into a mighty-muscled powerhouse called The Thing. Now, together with Kirby the Robot, the newest member of the group, They have become the greatest team of superheroes the world has ever known. The new Fantastic Four. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Uh, Before we get to our hook, we're going to chat up and wrap up. Our creative team, starting with Stan Lee. Uh, following this issue of Fantastic Four, we go throughout the 60s. Lee scripted, art directed, and edited most of Marvel's series. He also moderated the letters pages, wrote a monthly column called Stan's Soapbox, and also wrote endless promotional copy. In uh, 1972, Lee would step uh, step away from writing monthly comic books to assume the role as publisher. His final issue of Amazing Spider-Man was number 110, that was July 1972, cover date. And his final Fantastic Four was issue 125, that was August 1972. At this point, Stan Lee became somewhat of a figurehead or a spokesman for Marvel. Uh, He would give uh, several lectures at universities around the country, and he also became a staple in the growing comic book convention scene. Uh, Stan also tried to expand Marvel's brand outside of the Four-Color Funny Book. Uh, Lee and John Romita Sr. launched the Spider-Man newspaper strip. That started on January 3, 1977. Uh, Stan Lee's final collaboration with Jack Kirby was The Silver Surfer, The Ultimate Cosmic Experience. That was published in 1978 as part of the Marvel Fireside book series and is considered to be Marvel's first graphic novel. Uh, Stan was involved with brokering the deal for the successful Incredible Hulk television program that was in 1978, as well as the not-so-successful Doctor Strange TV movie that same year.
1: You win some, you lose some. Yeah, what are you to do? Uh, it might be telling uh, to see that Stan did not broker any deals for Marvel cartoons in the 1970s. That had happened in the late 1960s with the Marvel superheroes, the Fantastic Four, and the Amazing Spider-Man. The impression... He to me is that he wanted to produce more contemporary adult stuff. He did have some cartoons in the works that didn't pan out. Uh, Stan moved to California in 1981 ostensibly to develop Marvel's TV and movie properties. It didn't go very well. Considering the lack of Marvel product in film and television throughout (laughs) the 1980s, it's pretty evident. He was briefly made president of Marvel in 1986, but he stepped down almost immediately. He disliked the number crunching and the loss of his creativity. He occasionally returned to comic book writing with various Silver Surfer projects. That was always his baby that he wanted to write always. Uh, Including a 1982 one-shot drawn by John Byrne, the Judgment Day graphic novel illustrated by John Buscema from 1990, the Enslavers graphic novel with Keith Pollard in 1990, and the Parable limited series drawn by French artist Mobius. In 2012.
0: Now, somewhat seedy lawyer uh, Peter Paul and Stan Lee began a new internet based superhero creation, production, and marketing studio. This was called, get this, Stan Lee Media. Hey. And that was in 1998. Uh, it would grow to 165 people and uh, went public through a reverse merger structured by investment banker Stan Medley. This was in 1999. Near the end of 2000, investigators discovered illegal stock manipulation by Paul and corporate officer Stefan Gordon. Uh, Stanley Media would file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in February of 2001. Uh, Paul was extradited to the U.S. from Brazil and pled guilty to stock manipulation. Stanley was never implicated in this scheme.
1: Yeah, that's important. He is not yeah. part of this this crookery that went on. No. In 2001, Lee Gill, Champion, and Arthur Lieberman formed POW Purveyors of Wonder entertainment to develop film television and video game properties on march 15 2007 after stanley media had been purchased by jim nesfeld the company filed a lawsuit against marvel entertainment for 5 billion complaining lee had given his rights to several marvel characters to stanley media in exchange for a stock in the salary jim nesfeld lost good Uh, That sounds ridiculous Mm -hmm. On June 9, 2007 Stanley Media sued Lee His newer company, POW Entertainment And POW subsidiary, QED Entertainment And Stanley Media lost that one Which is also a good outcome Mm -hmm. Uh, The Stanley Foundation Was founded in 2010 to focus on Literacy, education, and the arts Its stated goals include supporting programs And ideas that improve access to literacy Resources, as well as promoting Diversity, national literacy Culture, and the arts Stanley has his fingers in many pies, though it seems we rarely get to taste them. Uh, a full bio would include much of his tremendous bibliography and probably only get it half right. <laughs>
0: Yes, that would be a very long episode. Yeah. Uh, now, most recently, Stanley has become somewhat something of an ambassador for comic books, spreading goodwill and comic cheer at conventions and other related events. He's also had a cameo in every recent Marvel Comics movie. Uh, he would marry Joan Clayton Bucock. Bucock? Yeah, in uh, I think so. <laughs> okay, on December 5th, 1947, and they had one daughter in 1950. Uh, Joan passed away not too long ago, July 6, 2017, due. The complications from a stroke And on that somber note We hop back to the other side of the table We're going to wrap up uh, Jack Kirby Now, in the Marvel Age of Comics, also known as the late 60s, uh, artists would be asked to do artwork and breakdowns in Kirby style, which would become the Marvel look. Uh, Lee and Kirby would co-create the Hulk, Thor, Iron Man, the X-Men, Doctor Doom, Watu the Watcher, Magneto, Ego the Living Planet, the Inhumans, and their hidden city of uh, Attilan, and uh, Black Panther and his African nation of Wakanda. Uh, Kirby drew the first Spider-Man story intended for publication in Amazing Fantasy 15, but Stanley chose to have Steve Ditko redraw the story.
1: But it is his uh, cover, right? That's
0: the... His cover is, yeah. He still uh, has the cover of, uh, of Amazing Fantasy, yeah. Now, uh, Lee and Kirby gathered several of their newly created characters together into the team title Avengers, and would revive characters from the 40s, such as Sub-Mariner, Captain America, and Kazar. Uh Marvel went from fourth in the line of publishers to first, by 1968.
1: Wow, six years, folks, is how long mm-hmm. that took. Uh, Kirby became increasingly dissatisfied, though, with Marvel, partly because of Stan Lee's public face and self promotion. In 1970, Marvel offered a contract to Kirby that included such unfavorable terms as a prohibition against legal retaliation. When, when Kirby objected, the management refused to negotiate any contract changes. Despite making 35 grand a year at Marvel, and I'll show this is not a small sum, Kirby did leave the company for DC Comics. Just to compare, in 1970, the cost of a new home was 26600 26, bucks, median household income was 8700 a year, and a gallon of gas was $0.36, cents, Chris. Do mm-hmm. you find that depressing to you at all? or? Quite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, he was making 35 was no small amount, but he felt he uh, would deserve more. So due to feeling mistreated and experiencing growing friction with Stan Lee, Kirby left DC for DC Comics in 1970. Uh, Kirby is coming ads popped up in DC Comics and on their covers to hype the event, showing just really how a big deal this was. Uh, we recently had something similar At DC, uh, more like three or four Years ago now, but it was for John Romita Jr. They did the same thing though Romita is coming, and uh, little Teasers in DC Comics uh, uh, Kirby created the fourth World, Kamandi, worked on Jimmy Olsen uh, Actually took Superman's spell Jimmy Olsen initially, so as not to bump Any established artists off their books And he would draw Superman and add to the Mythos, but famously, DC Swapped out Kirby's Superman faces with Ones drawn by Kurt Swan.
0: Now, Kirby would lampoon his old employer in the pages of Mr. Miracle, uh, which featured the Funky Flashman and House Roy, thinly veiled caricatures of Stan Lee and Roy Thomas. Uh, Funky Flashman was a blustery huckster who spoke with a true believer lilt, while House House Roy is very much the Flashman's adoring lackey. Uh, Now, Simon and Kirby teamed one last time later that year, with Simon writing the first issue, as December 1974, of the six-issue new incarnation of the Sandman. Now, this Sandman was originally intended to be the actual Sandman of popular myth, uh, eternal and immortal, despite his superhero-like appearance and adventures, because he was very much dressed like a superhero. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, back at Marvel in 1975, Kirby both wrote and drew the monthly Captain America series, as well as Captain America's Bicentennial Battles one-shot in the oversized Treasury format. He created the series The Eternals, which featured a race of inscrutable giant alien giants, the Celestials. Uh, he produced an adaptation and expansion of the film 2001 A Space Odyssey, he wrote and drew Black Panther and drew numerous covers across the line. Kirby's other Marvel creations in this period include Machine Man and Devil Dinosaur. Kirby's final comics collaboration with Stan Lee, as mentioned, was Silver Surfer, The Ultimate Cosmic Experience. That was published again in 1978 as part of Marvel Fireside Book Series.
1: Yeah, and uh, if you can find it, it's worth a look. He does all painting in it, so it's, it's a little unusual. Yes. Uh, still dissatisfied with Marvel, though, Kirby took an offer from animators Hanna-Barbera in 1970. He designed several characters, including the villains for Thundar the Barbarian, a favorite of mine, so I had to throw it in there In the early 1980s, Pacific Comics made a groundbreaking deal with Kirby to publish a creator-owned series, Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers, and the six-issue miniseries Silver Star Destroyer Duck was published in 1982 by Eclipse Comics as a way for Steve Gerber to raise funds for his lawsuit against Marvel Comics over ownership of the character Howard the Duck and somehow he convinced Jack Kirby to draw it. Uh, Jack Kirby provided pencils for the first five issues, having faced similar creator's rights issues as Gerber, and did it for free, apparently. Uh, Mark Evanier, Evanier and Gizip Gerber put together a, a pitch fit for King, and he penciled the 28th special lawsuit edition for free. Kirby continued to do periodic work for DC Comics through the 1980s, including a brief revival of his fourth world saga in 1984, and in 1985 did the Superpowers miniseries and the graphic novel The Hunger Dogs. Now in
0: 1987, under pressure from comics creators and the fan community, Marvel finally returned approximately 1,900 or 2,100 pages of the estimated 10,000 to 13,000 Kirby drew for the company. It's a lot of pages. Uh, now, Kirby retained ownership of characters used by Topps Comics beginning in 1993 for a set of series in which the company, in what this, the company just dubbed the Kirbyverse. Now, these titles were derived mainly from designs and concepts that Kirby had kept in his files, some intended initially for the by then defunct Pacific Comics and then licensed to T.O.P.S. for what would become the Jack Kirby's Secret City Saga mythos. Have, have you ever seen these T.O.P.S. comics in the wild? I've, yes. Uh, they, I've, I've actually got uh, the first issue of that bagged about a million times in my garage. Wow. All right. It's, I got a box full of them. I, oh. I don't know why I have it or where I got them, but... I was I was actually moving recently, so I was going through my stuff in my garage, and in, in the 1993 poly bags, as I have several dozen of them. I don't wow. know why. Right. <laughs> but it, but but if you're asking if I ever read it, no. Okay.
2: Fine.
0: <laughs> no. Uh, Now, Phantom Force was the last comic book Which uh, Jack Kirby worked on The story was co-written by Kirby With Michael Thibodeau and Richard French uh, Based on an eight-page pitch For an unused Bruce Lee comic From back in 1978 Issues one and two were published by Image Comics With various image artists Inking over Kirby's pencils Issues 0 and issues 3 through 8 were published by Genesis West, with Kirby providing pencils for issues 0 and 4. Thibodeau would provide the art for the remaining issues of the series. And Jack Kirby uh, passed away on February 6, 1994, at his home in Thousand Oaks, California, of congestive heart failure.
1: Yeah, and that was that. that. And, you know, we really had to give—it's hard to truncate Stanley and Jack Kirby's— lives these are the two of the hugest titans in comics and uh you know we definitely wanted to give them their room and you know give them their due even though we've talked about them before on the show there's always opportunity to talk about them some more but uh, for this episode our hook is the tragic hero which would definitely define the thing And we're going to talk about what that is. Uh, The term hero is derived from a Greek word, heroes, that means a person who faces adversity or demonstrates courage in the face of danger. When that first person faces downfall due to heroism, they become a tragic hero. In his Poetics, approximately 335 BCE, Aristotle suggests that a hero of tragedy must evoke in the audience, uh, a sense of pity or fear, saying the change of fortune presented must not be the spectacle of a virtuous man brought from prosperity to adversity, meaning you can't be a hero just because you lost your money. There's got to be more of a loss that the audience can, can connect with. You know, you're not a hero because you went and broke. Yeah. Uh, Aristotle further points mm-hmm. out the simple fact that the change of fortune should not be from bad to good but reversely from good to bad. So that, that makes sense. You know, it's yes. hard to feel sorry for someone that got rich.
0: Yes. <laughs> now, Aristotle <laughs> explains some basic characteristics surrounding the tragic hero. We have hamartia, the tragic flaw which causes the downfall of a hero, hubris, excessive pride and disrespect for the natural order of things, and peripatea? Maybe? Sure. Uh, <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> yes, uh, we will know it simply as the reversal of fate that the hero experiences.
1: He also uh, identified anagnoresis, uh, a moment in time when a hero makes an important discovery in the story, a nemesis, this is a punishment that the protagonist cannot avoid, usually occurring as a result of his hubris, and catharsis, feelings of pity and fear felt by the audience for the inevitable downfall of the protagonist. Aristotle gives a few examples of tragic heroes in this writing, including Sophocles' Antigone, uh, circa 441 BCE, about a prideful king that will not bury the body of a disgraced royal member and loses everything due to his stubbornness.
0: We have Lucius Aeneas' Seneca's Thyestes.
1: Thyestes. I gave you all the easy ones. Yes, you did.
0: T h y e s t e s. If you want to Google that, yeah. <laughs> this is from one the year one A.D. It's about a king who gets revenge on his brother for uh, feeding his family to him by siring a son with his daughter that kills his uncle. Hey, sounds like my favorite uh, soap I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna say you thought your family was bad. Really. Uh, <laughs> Now we see that Aristotle's concept of the hero was flawed and not the moral ideal that is more common today. Right. Which brings us to tragic heroes in comic books. Oh, now, yeah,
1: that's a way. That's what this podcast is about.
0: Right? I think maybe yes. Now, for the purposes of having a list that can be read in under ninety-five hours, we have omitted instances where the tragedy in question is the death of a hero's family or friends because.
1: That's everybody. Just think about it. Yeah, you, The <laughs> list will grow so rapidly you will not be able to contain it.
0: Now, of course, Ben Grimm, The Thing, applies here. But also... <laughs> oh, oh uh, The Spectre! <laughs> now, The Spectre materialized for the first time in More Fun Comics, issue number 52. This February 1940 cover date by Jerry Siegel and Bernard Bailey. Uh, we said we wouldn't do characters that committed to heroism due to friends and family dying... But what if the character died themselves? Yeah. This is the story when hard-boiled cop Jim Corrigan is murdered by thugs. Well, he's actually stuffed in a cement-filled oil drum and thrown in the ocean. Uh, but he is not allowed to pass into the afterlife. Instead, a disembodied voice known as the Voice uh, tells him to return to Earth and wreak vengeance upon criminals. Whether he likes it or not.
1: And for the most part, in the Golden Age, he seems to like it quite a bit, but that...
0: Yes, he gets a bit of glee from it.
1: Another spooky, tragic hero would be the Phantom Stranger. This mysterious fella spooked into our world in Phantom Stranger number one, August-September 1952 cover, by John Broom and Carmen Infantino. Initially, Phantom Stranger had no definitive origin. Uh, Four possible beginnings were posited in Secret Origins number 10, January 1987, but... He became a tragic hero in the new Fifty Two, uh, the number one uh, Phantom Stranger number one covered date December twenty twelve. It strongly implied that Phantom Stranger is actually Judas Iscariot, that thirteenth of Jesus Christ's apostles, who sold him out to the Romans for thirty pieces of silver. He now wears each silver piece around his neck, and one is removed every time he does God's will or something like that. I forget. Something like that, uh, yeah. I'm not even sure if Ten that minutes. still applies, but that was the new. 52. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, We've got the Martian Manhunter. Now, he first appeared in Detective Comics number 225 back in November 1955 by Joseph Samishan and Joe Serta. Now, an experiment drags Martian John Jones from his home world to Earth. And the shock of its success causes the attending scientist to have a heart attack and die on the spot, which brands John. (laughs) And so he assumes the secret identity of an Earthling policeman and... Goes ahead and fights crime. Uh, later, his origin is retconned so that Mars is a dead planet.
1: Yeah, but in those 50s stories, he actually just, like, communicate with them. Through
0: he the... transport, yeah, which is he crazy. commute. Like, which,
1: which, which makes it even, like, way worse, you know what I mean? The fact that, like, you're <laughs> trapped on Earth and you can still, your family is hanging out at home. Yep. <laughs> uh, Kid Flash is another temporary tragic hero at one time. Debuted in The Flash number 110, December 1959, by John Broom and Carmen Infantino. Uh, For a time in the 1980s, Wally West's super speed powers were killing him, since he had acquired them as a boy, and somehow that messed with his metabolism. But an antimatter blast during Crisis on Infinite Earths fixed that, so he became a non-tragic hero after that.
0: But now he has a pacemaker, so every time he runs, (laughs) this is his life. (laughs) Uh, Now, the Hulk, of course, stomped his way into the world in Incredible Hulk number one back in May 1962. Cover by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, two guys we might have mentioned something about. Uh, Now, now, during an experiment, physicist Dr. Bruce Banner is hit by gamma radiation when he shoves a loitering harmonica playing teenager out of the way of the blast. Uh, From then on, he spends his evenings as a destructive berserker, only to wake in the morning in a pair of torn pants and no memory of what had gone on the night before. Uh, Later, he turns on into the Hulk uh, when he's angry and can remember his time as the monster somewhat, but it's, uh, it's still sort of tragic.
1: And there are other permutations of this as well, but it's always always a messed up situation. (laughs) Uh, One of our favorites, the Doom Patrol, this team of weirdos debuted in My Greatest Adventure, number 80, June 1963, by Arnold Drake and Bruno Premiani. This is three people disfigured by freak accidents are brought together by a man paralyzed by a different freak accident to prove to the world that they're not freaks. Although (laughs) it's arguable, as we've said, how disfigured Rita Farr, the only initial female member, really is, she looks... Her thing is she can grow big. She's she's the 50-foot woman. Otherwise, she looks 100% normal. Normal. Uh, There are lots of permutations to this team through the decades, right up until the present day. There's one right now coming out from Young Animal. Uh, But the conceit is generally the same for all of them freaks that have no other place in society.
0: And some say the most tragic thing about them now is their shipping schedule. Uh, that's what I was saying. Oh. <laughs> Let's talk some Dr. Strange. Now, he materialized on our plane in Strange Tales number 110, July 1963, cover date by uh, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Wealthy surgeon Stephen Strange's hands are badly mangled in a car accident and he seeks the mystical assistance of the Ancient One to get his mojo back. When the Ancient One is murdered by another disciple, Doctor Strange must become the world's sorcerer supreme and give up his party life for one of quietude in New York's Greenwich Village. This is a—we actually discussed his first appearance uh, in a previous episode, available— in the Argos. Yeah,
1: somewhere there. I don't know the number, but yeah, we talked about it. Uh, Cyclops was an old beam face first appeared in X-Men number one September 1963 by Lee and Kirby. Uh, Scott Summers is a mutant with the power to issue intense force beams from his eyes. Unfortunately, he can't turn them off, and he must wear special mitigating eyewear at all times.
0: Yep, the ruby quartz glasses, too, because my power, my curse. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) uh, Daredevil. Now, old hornhead swung onto the scene in Daredevil number 1. is April 1964 cover date by Stan Lee and Bill Everett. Uh, He was caught in an accident after saving an elderly man from the same accident. Young Matt Murdock acquires a super radar sense from a strange chemical that fell off the back of a truck. Oh, and it also renders him permanently blind. Right. Uh, right. That's probably important to mention. That was that's this. that's
1: more the tragic part. That's right. I forgot yes. we forgot that.
0: <laughs> the radar the radar sense is a pretty good deal. <laughs> that so was
1: the yeah. good part, yeah. The tragic <laughs> was you can't see. But anyway, he, he made it work, as we know. Uh, Silver Surfer first appeared in the Fantastic Four, number 48, March 1966 cover by Lee and Kirby. In order to save Homeworld of Zen La Rad agreed to be world eater Galactus's herald and must spend the rest of eternity seeking new worlds for Galactus to eat. He does get a cool metallic skin and a surfboard, though, so it's not all bad.
0: Not all bad. Uh, we got uh, Dead Man. He shifted onto our plane and uh, into our plane. And Strange Adventures number two oh five his October nineteen sixty seven cover by Arnold Drake and Carmine Infantino. Not entirely unlike the Spectre, Dead Man is also a hero who was denied entrance into the afterlife. When Tribe's artist Boston Brand is killed by sniper fire, he is tasked with a ripoff Hindu goddess named Ramadas to do uh, you know good deeds. Uh, there's not even an endpoint for this initially. Dead Man is supposed to possess folks and. Solve mysteries forever.
1: Yeah, it's really, I, I really. When you think about it, it's just sort of like, is that his hell? Like, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> it's like you think you could can you clock out and you know take weekends off or something, but no. Uh, Etrigan the Demon, one of my favorites. He flamed into existence in the Demon Number no. One, August 1972, cover by Jack Kirby himself. When the wizard Merlin cannot extract Etrigan's secrets, he bonds the demon to Jason Blood, a royal knight in King Arthur's court. This makes Jason immortal, but also somewhat beholden to a demon forever. Yeah, that can't be cool. Not nice. No, he's not into that.
0: No. And one day around Christmas time every year, Etrigan gets full control. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, well, now there's a mini series now that's actually throwing a monkey wrench in the whole. Uh... Oh, boy. It's now, uh, we'll talk about it another time I don't want to yes. <laughs> <think>
0: of, <so. laughs> We'll go from one of your favorites To another, we're going to go to Swamp Thing uh, He used Into the World in House of Secrets Number 92, this is the June-July 71 issue uh, By Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson uh, Though the version we're concerned with uh, Debuted in Swamp Thing Number 1 uh, the October-November 1972 By the same creative team uh, Bioscientist Alec Holland Is caught in a fiery explosion and rushes out to the swamp, where his chemicals Combined with the teeming plant and bacterial life In the water, that turns him into a Moss-encrusted mockery of a man Later we learn that swamp Thing is a plant's approximation Of a man, and he will never Ever regain his humanity because He never had it to begin with
1: right. so He almost has like two tragic origins You know, it's like he
0: Did they change that back? Uh, they After brightest day?
1: Uh, uh... Do I know what's happening right now? No, but in New, in new 52, they did. Yeah, New 52, there they they okay. was still a... He was, like, attached to his humanity or something. Uh, but I couldn't... What's happening today, I cannot promise anything. Uh, Wolverine, one of our favorites, and we also did talk about his debut in an episode of Cosmic Treadmill. Our man Logan debuted in The Incredible Hulk number 181. November 1974, not counting a last panel cameo from the previous issue, which I really wouldn't, uh, and was created by Roy Thomas, Len Wein, and John Romita, Sr. After killing his birth father due to a misunderstanding, namely that it was his birth father, Logan yes. carouses around and eventually is captured by the Weapon X program, which forcibly fuses adamantium onto his skeleton and gives him false memory implants. And that kind of makes him a little bit salty. It's a side of- Kind of a cranky fella.
0: We got the Taskmaster Now he first appeared as a villain in Avengers Number 195 This is May 1980 cover date By David Michelini and George Perez But is vacillated between being a hero And being a hired mercenary that might do Heroic things from time to time yeah. Now uh, Tony Masters has the power to mimic Exactly anyone else's physical movements But he loses a memory Every time he does It makes him sort of a you know functional Amnesiac and uh, somewhat of a Disappointment to his ex-wife, you'd imagine
1: It's it's interesting that, though, because the tragedy There is something, I think, more experienced By other people than him, you know If you don't remember yeah. something, you don't care You, you know, can't, you can't really <laughs> mourn it, yeah, yeah. Uh, Here's one of our favorites, is Cyborg His servos lurched to life for the first time In DC Comics Presents number 26 October 1980 cover date By Marv Wolfman and George Perez Resentful teen Victor Stone Gets caught up in an interdimensional experiment That leaves his body badly mangled Victor's dad, who's a scientist, hooks him up with high-powered robot prosthetics, but Vic is not spontaneously grateful because he is a teenager, and you know
0: how they are. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you need the Mento helmet to make people not see you as a. Exactly. Creep. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we got Rogue. Now this mutant first showed up in Avengers Annual number ten, November 1981, by Chris Claremont and Michael Golden. Anna Marie has the ability to touch the to absorb the life force and powers of whomever she touches. Uh, but you know, so she can never get friendly back rubs. Nope. No skin to skin contact can be done here because she can't control it. Now. <laughs> Rogue was first slated to appear in Ms. Marvel number 25 back in 1979, and artwork for the first half of that story was completed. But the book's abrupt cancellation at issue 23 would leave her in- original introduction story unpublished for over a decade. It would eventually be printed in Marvel Superheroes number 11 in the fall of
1: 1992. Wow, that's good. I mean, cool, they still had that around too. Sure. Uh, here's the guy, uh, Red Hood, the fellow known as Jason Todd, first debuted in Batman number 357, March 1983, by by Jerry Conway and Don Newton. Initially, this was Dick Grayson's replacement as Robin. Uh, Jason Todd was beaten to death by the Joker by fan request while searching for his birth mother. We go over this in Weird Comics History Episode Four, one of the very early ones. Mm-hmm. After the universe is shifted by Superboy Prime's crisis-inducing punch. You're going to have to read up on that if you don't know what I'm talking about. Jason (laughs) crawls from his grave as Red Hood in Batman number 635. February 2005 cover by Judd Winnick and Doug Mankey. And Batman still treats him like a little jerk. He just is like so rude to him the whole time. Mm -hmm. Though, you know, and I'm sure Chris is thinking of this. Technically speaking, Jason Todd first emerges during the Hush storyline. But then it turns out it was Clayface pretending to be Jason, at least...
2: Part Maybe, of time, right? Yeah, it, it
1: gets too complicated. So
0: we, we it, 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 when it, whatever's convenient is what we're going to go with. Uh, uh, we're going to hop over to Doctor Manhattan, the uh, Big Blue Nudist Manifested in Watchmen Number One by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Nuclear physicist Jonathan Osterman is caught in an experiment that disintegrates his body at the molecular level. John is able to reconstitute himself as an omnipotent being at the cost of his humanity.
1: And here's another Robin, which shows uh, once again that is one of the worst jobs you can have in the DCU. Yeah, who'd want it? Uh, Tim Drake, the one-time Robin, then Red Robin, then Batman Beyond, then Red Robin again. I think first debuted in as <laughs> Tim Drake in Batman number 436, August 1989, cover by Marl Wolfman and Pat Broderick. This character is notable, and again, we're breaking our no-deceased-friends-and-family rule here, in that Tim was spurred to become Robin out of an altruistic need to help Batman. Uh, he was just a perfectly well-adjusted kid with a rich parents, you know? Uh, he came from a good home, which actually was, like, right next door to Bruce Wayne, uh, loving parents and whatever. Uh, it was only after he became a superhero that his mom, then his girlfriend, then his dad were brutally murder- murdered. But his girlfriend came back to life, so that was, he got that back.
0: One out of three ain't bad. Yeah. Uh, We got Spawn. He debuted in Spawn, number one, May 1992 by Todd McFarlane. He's another character rejected from eternal rest. Retired Marine and CIA agent, Al Simmons, is murdered by his best pal and goes straight to hell. Due to all the people that he'd killed Now he makes a deal with comic book Satan To return to the land of the living In order to see his wife Wanda and child again In exchange for his soul Now Al's wish is granted But he returns five years later Hideously scarred and Wanda Has
1: remarried boing, 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 You know, yes. He can never catch a break And uh, he never will. as Chris has pointed out That person that Wanda has remarried Has changed over the years But whatever the point
0: yeah, and is his murder- has killed. It. The murderer has changed. A, it was a you know chapel for a bit. It was a woman for a bit. Yes,
1: Chris. When new facts come to light, we have to update the uh, you know the story of these fictional characters. That's how it works. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's all we got for this, and I, I'm sure we've missed a lot, even with our. Uh, you know, restricts her against dead family and friends and whatever. So uh, if you can think of some more tragic superheroes or you want to talk about this issue or Stan Lee and Jack Kirby or anything at all, you can write to us over at weirdcomicshistory at com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Cosmic T-Mill History. Find us on Twitter at Cosmic T-Mill, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie.
0: I'm at Ace Comics.
1: You can see our weekly writings at WeirdScienceDCComics.com and see Chris's daily reviews of DC Comics at Chris's on uh, You have really been just cranking them out lately, boy. I've been loving them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got you got some old Supermans. I mean, you really, I I guess this is a byproduct of you moving, but yes. I mean, it, it it has been like a yo-yo through time in DC Comics. You know, you got your Bronze Age, you got some from the 2000s, some from the 90s, uh, but it's, it's, it's the kind of thing uh, if you've never seen it before, even if you have looked at it, just pull it up and like spend a night, <laughs> enjoy yourself. Go through. I'm telling you, they're great. Uh, it really, you know, when, once you read one of your, one of Chris's uh, reviews, it's close to reading the comic because you've got so many good panels in there. I try a yeah. really close breakdown. You know, obviously, nothing can be the exact same, but you know, you you really will get a good idea, and you really will know the ins and outs of that comic, plus your thoughts on it, plus ads at the end. I tell you folks every week you gotta check it out. If you're not checking it out, you're missing out on Chris on Yeah and
0: and we have we're having a special now where if you search for Rita Farr Young Justice, uh, <laughs> You come to my site for some reason. I right? thousands of times the past couple of weeks. Someone is, someone is searching for Rita Farr, Young Justice. Did you
1: ever write such a thing like, I wish Rita Farr no. was a
0: I, I don't know Which how would be it
1: It's a it very happen. weird thing to watch, but okay.
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's what's going on now. <laughs> but uh, over at our uh, show's uh, site here, weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com, uh, really nothing going on. Uh, you, you can stuff. visit it if you want. Yeah,
1: some stuff will be there sometimes. Uh, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll 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 get there, folks. We're not great
0: right. at that. It's just opening a whole new tab. It's such a pain. <laughs> it <really> uh, is. <laughs> before we jam, we want to make sure we thank Aaron again for the suggestion. Yeah. Uh, this is I, I I don't know about you, but this is a story I have not read in a very long time.
1: Right. Yeah. As a matter of fact, same I remembered way. it differently when we first thought about it. Remember, we talked like, about same, we like, same here. Same we here. Yeah. We were like, oh yeah, isn't it like he has to like, uh, you know.
0: Yeah, I never knew, I forgot all about the scientists I forgot, yeah, I like, remember that he it.
1: turned into Ben Grimm And, and that my I, memory of it was he sacrificed that For Fantastic Four To War, turn back Sort of what happened, but not really what happened Because he had no control over that It turned out to yeah. be more about this nameless scientist Bald guy character who, like <laughs> Had a uh, whole uh, transition, had a whole redemption So, interesting story It was, uh, you yeah. know, not quite what I expected But, not uh either. I think that's all we got for him, Mr. Chris. You got anything else for him?
0: No, I think that'll do it.
1: Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it on the treadmill subspaciously. See ya. In the time of chimpanzees, I was a monkey. Butane
2: in my paints and mouth to cut the chuggy with the plastic eyeballs. Spray paint the vegetables, ducts. Got a couple of couches, sleep on the love seat, someone came saying,